I'm Alex Mosette and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech monopolies. We've got a few topics for today. First two are actually around a somewhat similar theme, which is we're kind of in the second inning uh, or the second phase of the, of the topic, of the theme. The first uh, theme being platform wars and how governments are taking uh, regulatory and legislative action to rein in uh, the power of the tech monopolies. And so we've now kind of seen the first bout of this. We're not in the first round anymore. So what's happening with that? We've got an update looking at South Korea and Google, which I think is an interesting example uh, um, to speak to the broader trend and, and, and uh, theme. Um, the second example, the second theme on, phase, on the second phase is looking at autonomous cars. Uh, big fundraise out of this company called Neuro, raising $600 million dollars now worth over $8 billion. Company still is in the, you know, prototyping uh, stages, not commercially ready to launch, that's for sure. Uh, $8 billion plus dollar company. The second phase of uh, autonomous cars, is it really here this time? Um, third topic, eh, nothing to do with first or second phases, but third topic is looking at the role and the importance of, we've talked a lot about on the show, the importance of data particularly in B2B distribution, the importance of data, product data, pricing data. And actually a common hack solution for early stage tech companies, many of them B2B marketplaces, trying to get scale. And what they're doing to get access to uh, distributors, product and pricing data. And just kind of peel the onion back a little bit on that topic. So First topic is the second phase of platform wars. So we've now seen, for example, we've seen um, the amazing Reuters investigation into Amazon and they're just outright lying and cheating in India, where India passed laws to regulate how third party uh, you know, American controlled marketplaces in India operate, not being able to operate both 1P and 3P. Amazon read the law, and then just subverted it entirely and went right around it. Now we've seen Google and Facebook and how they've complied with the Australian law to be more equitable and pay fairer sums of money to the media companies that these that Google and Facebook were just taking the news and, and had all the leverage and were, were, were not paying appropriate sums of uh, compensation. Uh, to the media companies. So the Australian government stepped in, passed a law. Google bluffed and threatened to leave the country, the continent of Australia, which I called on Bloomberg in Australia, Bloomberg show in Australia. Check the tape. I said, Sundar does not have the conviction to go through with this threat. This is a bluff. Call it. Australia called it. Sundar caved. And then that brought Facebook to the plate. You know, if, if Google was caving, then and Facebook couldn't, you know, uh, hold hold their own um, and let Google still play and Facebook not. So we've now seen and we've covered it on the show, Google and Facebook and how they have been striking agreements with media companies, but not all, and how that's played out. Now, third iteration, most most recent iteration of this is uh, what's going on with. Uh, Google and the App Store, the Android Google Play Store in 
South Korea. South Korea passed a law that was trying to allow apps to use third-party payment solutions, all with an eye to break Google's grip on controlling payments and charging high commissions for developers uh, when doing in, you know, in-app purchases, right? So now we've seen that law come out. It's come from the Korean government. And now you see how the tech monopoly responds. And they are very sly and very sharp, as you would imagine. And so what they've done is actually implemented a solution which complies with the law. It says, here you go, app developer, you can use a third-party payment provider. You can see an example of it here. Choose how to check out, use Google Play or use, you know, a, another third-party, you know, payment app. But then they say, well, you know, so we are going to bifurcate out our fee structure, right? That was the other thing that South Korean government was trying to get at is, hey, Google, you know, we don't think you should be charging all these fees on in-app purchases and all this kind of stuff, right? We've seen a bunch of things going on in the U.S. in terms of uh, app store fees and Epic versus Apple and all these things. So what Google's solution was, they said, okay, we will reduce the developer's service fee by 4%. For example, the vast majority of developers who pay 15% for transactions through Google Play's billing system, their service fees for transactions through the alternate billing system would be 11%. So what they're doing is now bifurcating it out. Google's still going to get their pound of flesh and then some. They're complying with the law. They lose a little bit of margin, so there's a little bit of margin. I mean, when you factor in, you know, the the just the credit card companies are taking 2 plus percent to to low twos like two, two and a half percent fee. So the 4%, there is some margin there for the payment app to put on top um, of the actual payment network, which is going to, you know, take their VIG as well. So the, so Google is losing a little bit of margin, but not a lot of margin. Call it maybe one to one and a half percent of margin that they're losing. You take a step back and you say, well, was this was this what we expected to happen? And, you know, is this actually working? And the answer is, it's absolutely working. The answer is, we need to keep doing this. We being the governments, we being uh, individual users and consumers to um, rein in big tech. Every little thing that we do works and helps and will ultimately make us successful in the battle to rein in the big tech monopolies. It is a series of seemingly small cuts, but those cat cuts add up. Um, and eventually you draw some blood. This is taking Google's time and attention. This is taking some of their money. This is bifurcating their control and allowing other payment providers to get um, now more traction and volume and integrations into apps. This is actually doing a lot of positives to promote competition at Google's expense, which is a good thing. So yes, the, you know this isn't the, the silver bullet to go and and, you know, one shot brings down the big tech monopoly. That's not realistic. That's never going to happen. These companies just have too much lobbying power. They're too embedded into the systems of government for that to happen. But these things are very positive and we can keep doing these. Right. And now South Korea does this and then Australia does that. And this is V1. So then, you know, there's going to be a V1.1. There's going to be another version of this in South Korea. There's going to be another version of this in another country that is looking at what Australia is doing and India is doing and South Korea is doing and say, well, I'm going to do this. And that all supports the cause. 
to bring more equity and, and level the playing field against big tech. So I actually love this. May not seem like it, but this is a step in the right direction and a win um, in, our, in our collective fight. Uh, next topic is autonomous cars. We've been hearing, I remember going back 2016, 2017, when we started to work with Ford, we started to work with Ford back 2017. And right around then, earlier, right before we started working with them, they did the deal with Argo AI. This was under Mark Fields' reign, put a billion dollars into Argo AI, uh, the autonomous you know, driving software provider. We keep hearing about autonomous cars, autonomous cars, autonomous cars. But you know, our point of view when we did the work with Ford in, was that you know, autonomy was still a number of years uh, before it got to actually kind of consumers and uh, day-to-day driving. And so we made a bet looking at the connected vehicle and all the services going in and out of the vehicle, that led to the launch of the Ford TMC, their transportation mobility cloud. So a common API that developers can connect into and build apps, hook into different command and control APIs in the car, unlocked car doors, and all this kind of stuff, right? But that has nothing to do with autonomy. And so we made very clear to kind of not hitch our wagon to when... Uh, autonomous vehicles would be a mainstream thing. Instead, where we actually saw it coming about was more in the commercial arena. So if you look at the trucking industry, right, where is there a need, a threat? You can't get truckers, uh, especially now with COVID, supply chain crisis, gig economy, which I've talked about. Um, gig economy is stealing a lot of jobs. There's a trucker shortage pre-COVID. Now there's even more of a trucker shortage. You can't get truckers. I think relatively a lot more traction, a lot less complications of rolling out a, f- a fuller scale autonomous vehicle program in the commercial arena, uh, whether it's around trucking or enter our next example. You look at this, Neuro has raised $600 million, Tiger Global in there, $8.6 billion valuation, 72% increase from a year ago. Yep, that's just the world we're in. Here's the interesting thing. Google joined the round. Why would Google do that when Google owns this thing called Waymo? Well, interestingly enough, because it's Google Cloud leading the charge, Tom Curian, uh, Larry Ellison, founder of Oracle, his right-hand man who left Oracle to then go run Google Cloud and has been doing a bunch of acquisitions, spending a bunch of money to try and make Google Cloud, you know, uh, closer to Microsoft Azure um, and still still pretty far away from AWS. But anyway, they Google Cloud has struck a deal with Neuro for Neuro to do, to treat Google Cloud as a strategic partner, do all their stuff on the cloud. And as a result, Google Cloud is putting money into Neuro. Hmm. Yikes. Conflict of interest? Maybe. But then you got to understand these are gargantuan, you know, trillion dollar companies. Like what Tom Curian is doing over here in his fiefdom and Waymo, these are miles apart. Tom Curian's doing this deal, doesn't care what the Waymo people, I mean, obviously they're probably not too happy about it, but he doesn't care about them. And he has the authority to write a check if he so pleases because Neuro is going to give them all their business and help them now have a, you know, a landmark client so they can go build out all this Google Cloud capability in the world of autonomous driving, which 
clearly that's really the bigger thing that Google's making a bet on is we want to develop the cloud capability to support all the autonomous vehicles and all the needs that they have. And as a part of that, they clearly see commercial application of autonomous driving as one of the uh, more applicable areas that that this could actually break through. So here's a little video how Neuro works, really doing like local deliveries, right? Um, DoorDash has been experimenting with this kind of stuff uh, with like robots on the sidewalk. Neuro is doing uh, pilots with Kroger, with FedEx. Um, so think about like last mile deliveries. If you remember, Domino's actually did a pilot with Ford a few years ago. Um, looking at the same kind of thing, right? So last mile delivery to me makes a lot of sense. Actually, probably even easier to capture than longer haul kind of commercial trucking routes. Maybe that's like a phase two, but really solving the last mile, it's so expensive. And um, how could you route these little self-driving robots out there to do small package deliveries? Um, I could see that being a, a great beachhead. Oh, and sure enough, Domino's is also now a partner with Neuro, so is Walmart. So they're trialing this. These are real pilots that are going on. It's not full sale commercial ready to roll out, um, but this is real. Uh, as real it can be short of doing full scale commercial launch, but there are a lot of interesting things going on with this company. They are building a manufacturing facility in Southern Nevada. With the boost of this new funding, we're turning our focus to commercializing and scaling the production of our third generation vehicle at our new facility in Southern Nevada. So they now I think are gearing up for a semi kind of regional commercial launch, creating a lot of vehicles and really getting ready to, to, to close the loop on the last mile. This makes a lot of sense to me. And, and I think this could really be a great area to see truly uh, autonomous driving technology roll out, excuse the pun, but this is more than just software, right? This is a this is an actual vehicle that they are creating. Right? This isn't just software. Look at this thing. This is an end-to-end -end vehicle uh, that they're producing and doing in Southern Nevada, which I love. Last topic is we talk a lot about how important data is for, for really any company, a marketplace company, but particularly for B2B distributors. B2B distributors put a lot of emphasis on their data, product catalog data. Um, how do you make your product catalog more merchandisable for e-commerce, pricing data. And pricing is a very sensitive subject for the B2B distribution industry, which, you know, for many, many years has flirted with this word called transparency. And what's very interesting is if you look at a lot of the tech companies, many of them marketplaces and different verticals of B2B distribution, they actually have a very good, what I would call hacks to get access to data which a classical large enterprise distributor would be most likely very reticent to take those kinds of risks. I'm gonna give you a couple examples about what I mean. So we've covered this company Vetcove a few times on the show. We've covered uh, how Chewy just recently has, has filed a lawsuit against Vetcove for subverting and redirecting Chewy customers to elsewhere, like Covetris. Whether or not that's true is another story, but here's the interesting thing about a Vetcove. Vetcove is in our top 10 list of B2B marketplaces out of our top 50 ranking. Vetcove is top 10. If you go to Vetcove's website, here you go. 
Purchase purchasing for your vet hospital. Shop every supplier at once. What is one of the brass tacks apps and and products that these marketplaces do? Many of them offer a pricing comparison tool. So if you are a business customer, like in this case, a a veterinarian hospital or a you know a vet, or if you are let's look at this company in the dental supply space, Zen Supplies. And you want to do a price comparison, right? Very, very often, if you are a distributor and you want to win over a business's, um, you know, business customers' uh, volumes, you'll say, "Hey, give me your invoices, and I will do a price comparison with you, and I'll do a price comparison, and I'll show you how much money we can save you by using us as your distributor rather than the competitor." What these tech companies are doing, many of them, in many different verticals is doing that, but on steroids and saying, hey, don't just give me your invoices, just give me your logins for your different distributor accounts. And then what they do is they go look at your purchasing history. Not only do they look at your purchasing history, they scrub and they crawl all the data that that distributor makes available behind their portal. Yes, it's behind a portal. It's behind a login. But these business customers are giving that to the price comparison apps, which then the price comparison app conveniently has a marketplace behind it to sell you all the stuff cheaper than you're getting from your distributors. And you may be working with multiple distributors. So they make it really easy for you to just log in, give me your login and password. Boom. Now I'm in. Unleash the crawlers. Get your purchasing history and then go get all the other stuff the distributor is making available to its business customer because, yeah, the business customer has a login. This is their e-commerce site. And, you know, these people are authenticated. This has been going on, not, not this isn't like a month's or a week's thing. This has been going on for years. And I know uh, multiple distributors with these examples specifically that are trying to figure out just, just how to keep these price comparison apps out of their system just from a security and IT standpoint, right? Unfortunately, in some of these verticals, the cat's out of the bag. These companies like Avecov have gotten to so much scale. They are now doing hundreds and hundreds of millions of, of dollars in volume. They now have so much data. They have so many logins at their disposal, right? It's the weed has spread. The genie is out of the bottle. Hard to put the genie back in the bottle. When you think about it, though, you say, you know, the technology is actually not very hard to scrape all this data. Now, they have a price comparison tool, which is nice. But would a large multi-billion dollar B2B distributor ever think legally, would your general counsel ever even allow you to take a business customer's login and then go scrape that whole website? I guarantee you, any billion-dollar general counsel is going to shut that down in two seconds. Now, herein lies the predicament. This is the classical example of the innovator's dilemma. These tech startups, no one's suing them. Chewy is not suing Vetcov for crawling Chewy's website. Right? Chewy is suing Vetcov for diverting, literally diverting orders away from Chewy that Chewy is sending to the vet clinic and then... Vetcov is in the systems of the clinic and then they divert it elsewhere. It's like next level. It's not even just scraping the data. I don't know of any example of a large distributor suing 
a price comparison tech startup for scraping their data by taking the login information, which was voluntarily given to the price comparison app by a business customer. I don't know of any example. But would any distributor actually do the same thing? The technology is not that hard. Do a price comparison app. You log in, you scrape the data, then you just consolidate it and put it in a dashboard. If you think about all the B2B distributors in the industry, they have been, you know, think about the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of price comparisons that every B2B distributor in the industry has done just in an analog way. How many relative price comparison checks do these tech marketplaces do when they now just have the login credentials? This is the different kind of A way to do business, whether you, whether you eschew it or not, whether you think it honorable or legal or not. This is the classical example of why Google could not do Google Video, but YouTube was wildly successful because Google Video was too concerned about copyright and IP laws, yes, that their general counsel and their lawyers <clears throat> were making it much harder to get adoption, to get supply, and to let people upload content. YouTube didn't care. They were a startup. Whatever. Who's going to care about suing us? We don't have any money. And YouTube grew like gangbusters, then obviously getting acquired by Google for a billion dollars. And that is the predicament that large enterprises, whether a distributor or not, have, which is how do you get that scale if you really are trying to innovate and embrace new digital business models? How do you get enough autonomy away from the core mothership to allow a team to take risks. A lot of them will fail, but to take risks, some will work. Some, a general counsel is going to shut down in two seconds. But do you really need the general counsel involved at all times? These are the kinds of questions which B2B distributors are asking themselves. I'm merely posing some of the questions, but this is a classical hack. It's a hack, and it's working, and it's still working. And these companies are still not shut out of, I know, many distributors, e-commerce sites. And that's a problem. So that's it for us today on Winner Take All. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you for joining.